United Soccer Coaches is proud to bring you the weekly United Soccer Coaches podcast, covering all aspects and all levels of the game we love. The United Soccer Coaches podcast is presented by Team Snap and hosted by veteran soccer announcer Dean Linky, the longtime television and podcast voice of the association. Now, here's Dean with this week's show. I am Dean Linky, and this might be the biggest show yet. We kick off with former United Soccer Coaches CEO and Executive Director Joe Cummings, who was able to spend an hour with the special one, Jose Mourinho, and it will be featured at this year's digital convention. Joe Cummings will tease that interview and why you want to sign up for the digital convention right away. In segment two, Chris Doran, the radio voice of the Columbus Crew. They'll play Saturday in the MLS Cup. Chris Doran will walk through the Columbus Crew adventure, including saving the club. And now Caleb Porter has them this close to winning the MLS Cup. Up third, the Robbie Robinson long-term service award for high school soccer goes to Hawaii and Colorado's Reed Weeks. Reed Weeks joins me. Then Sean Danhauser, who was recognized by one of the advocacy groups for his excellence. Sean Danhauser is on the show. Then we visit with another member of this year's 30 under 30 class, Lauren P.N. And we wrap up the show with Big Ten and 10. Indiana women's soccer, Erwin Van Benekam and Kelly Lawrence. That's a big show. And it starts after this message from our big presenting sponsor, Team Snap. Does managing your club or league feel like a second job? If so, you might need some help. With Team Snap, you can get it. Their customers save up to 15 hours each week on tasks such as communication, registration, scheduling, and more. Plus, everything you need is online, which means no more trips to the bank, no more lost checks, and no more colossal spreadsheets. Bring your club or league into the 21st century with Team Snap. Go to TeamSnap.com to learn more. Team Snap is proud to be the presenting sponsor of the United Soccer Coaches podcast. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap. We are getting oh so close to this year's digital convention that will run January 11 through 15. And we've got some big timers. It's hard to imagine a bigger timer than Jose Mourinho, but Joe Cummings, who of course was the great CEO of United Soccer Coaches from 2009 to 2015, among other great things in the game, was able to sit down with Coach Mourinho, who, Joe, as I'm doing this interview with you, I'm actually watching them play Chelsea. So I already thought you were cool, but it's pretty cool to know that you spent that time with them. First of all, welcome, Joe. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Dean. Thanks very much for having me on. You spent how much time with Jose? How much time will we have with him during the convention? The interview lasted about an hour, 55 minutes was the interview. So anytime you get any minutes with Jose, he's such a big personality. I mean, enigmatic. I I don't even know how many words you can use to describe him is pretty cool. Tell us all how you were able to arrange this and make it happen. Well, through a friend of United Soccer Coaches, Pedro Arujo. Pedro knows Jose quite well. They're, They're dear friends. And Pedro and I, over the years, have spent a good deal of time together. Pedro exhibits at the convention every year. He's been a big supporter of then NSCAA, now United Soccer Coaches. And I mentioned to Pedro that I would love to meet Jose at some point and have conversations with him, philosophical, methodological conversations, coach to former coach, and find out 
a little bit more about him. Pedro made it happen quite a number of years ago now. When Jose was at Real Madrid, I visited and spent three days with him, certainly across a range of interactions. I watched training, had dinner, visited with staff. It was an amazing three days. Went to a match and was treated to the sitting in the box, went to the press conference afterwards. And then um, he and I continued to stay in touch via email in the years that have followed since him being at Real Madrid. So that's how the friendship began. We're going to get to the interview. You just heard me say, I don't know what words to use to describe him. So I'm going to ask you, because you're smarter than me anyway, outside of the interview and those three days and over the years, what is the best way you can describe him? First of all, like many of the managers that coach at these levels, they're flat out brilliant. They are just so smart and not just about football, about soccer. They have interests that extend beyond the field and they love to talk about those. They love to spend some time talking about those things that really excite them about their lives because every single moment when people meet them, they want to talk about one thing. They want to talk about football. They want to talk about the team. And yes, I had an opportunity to do that. But what you may not realize about him and others of this stature is just how smart they really are and how wide-ranging their interests are beyond football. Well, you've heard the name The Special One I mean, when you watch him, he's got that snarl. He likes to play with the media. I mean, is it all part of the psychological aspect of what he's doing, Joe? Because I find him so interesting how he does all of that. The snarl, playing with the media, the way he interacts with his players, the way he's all about tactics. I mean, there's so many layers to this man. I don't know if everything is plotted and planned, but he certainly knows before he behaves a certain way or acts a certain way, what he would like the outcome to be. It's well thought out. It's part of his managerial persona. It is. What did he say to you? And I don't know if you covered this in the interview, but does he care what the players think about him? You always hear about the word players coach. Does he care at all? One of the questions I posed to him was the Amazon Prime show gave us a chance to see inside the dressing room. And I was struck by his communication skills with everybody, with the staff, with the serving staff in the breakfast room, with the owner, with his assistant coaches, with the players themselves. And he is very much a direct communicator. There's no question when you've had a conversation with him what he wants you to feel and take away from that conversation. But the thing that I'm struck by is that because I've seen him in these moments, not just having seen Amazon Prime, I was able to view some of these, is that when he says something in a direct way, it never comes across, at least what I observed, it never comes across as hurtful. He just tells you what he thinks. He tells you what's going to happen. And he'll tell you how he plans to move forward. And that's the most exciting thing. There's never a question. When he moves forward, he usually does it in just three-year stints. What is that all about, Joe? Were you able to ask him about how he's usually at a place for 
three years and then he moves on. I don't think every time that is his decision, but when you look at his resume, it kind of goes in three-year waves or, or thereabout. Right. He certainly has had that as part of what you see when you talk about his CV and his resume. I've never asked him that question. Certainly you can read and you can speculate. When he sets standards, sometimes those standards become difficult for others to meet. And that might be part of it's time for him to move into a different situation to raise those standards. But I did ask him the companion question there. It's amazing how many of his assistant coaches have come with him because this was really interesting to me. His assistant coaches have come when he's moved, they've moved with him. And he answered that question by talking about the four or five that he brings into a team. Everyone else would be there, would already be there, but the four or five would come with him. So obviously those coaches that travel with him, they believe in the standards that he's bringing to the team. Some of the players may not feel that way at the end of three years, and maybe that's caused the change. All right. Well, this is exciting. You are now on the United Soccer Coaches podcast. We're talking to Joe Cummings, former CEO of United Soccer Coaches, had success at MLS, WSA, all the women's leagues. Everybody knows Joe Cummings. You're getting ready to do the interview, which is going to air January 11th through 15th. I don't think we know the day just yet, unless you know that, Joe, already when this is going to air. I do not. Obviously, we've announced it now that he is in. Just talk through how the interview went, what he was like, how he was feeling, and maybe some of the key things that he talked about. Sure. Well, I sent Pedro and sent Jose the questions in advance so that he had some sense of the direction that I was going. I wanted to talk about what the day was like, and I wanted to talk about what his days were like in light of COVID and then during that break. That was very interesting. So what time does he get to the office? What happens when he gets to the office? What happens before training? What happens after training? How long does he stay? When does he head home? All of those types of things. Because I wanted to know what his day was like. Because we see, those of us that follow matches, we see two hours. You know, we just see the match. And to be able to pull the curtain back, Dean, and find out what his day was like. And the interview's done with him sitting in his office at the training facility. So you get to see all the memorabilia. You get to see the history of what he's been engaged in. So he walked us through that, what his day is like, the 12 hours that they usually put in and the responsibilities that the staff all has. His staff is so well divided and dedicated to what it is they want to accomplish and divided by that I mean, you have this responsibility, you have that responsibility, you have that responsibility. These head coaches, these managers, they're CEOs of big organizations. And that's what he is. He's the CEO of Tottenham. He's responsible for pulling that all together. I also wanted to talk to him about film study. He laughed. He was chuckling about where he was when he first started and where he is right now. They have a drone that does the video of all of the training sessions. And so he said, years ago when I began coaching, it was me and my father. That was it. His father was his first coach. He said, and now I've got all these multiple coaches. 
I have a drone at training so I can look at the training after it's over. We can study it and determine what the training is going to be like for the next day. So he was just chuckling about the technology and the, and the use of the technology. The video, Zhao Sacramento, who is his right, one of his right-hand coaches, joined him from AS Monaco. And Zhao has a master's in sports tactical awareness. And he's the one that Jose will speak to a lot as far as the video presentation is concerned. So that piece of the conversation was incredible. Training gets over and they spend the rest of the day just looking at video of what happened to training, who performed, what do they need to do for the next day. The pieces that go into putting that training session together were just incredible. The pieces of information. His mood had to be good. I mean, he's got Tottenham at the top of the table, right? And Tottenham had been left behind I mean, going into that Chelsea game, when we were recording right now, they were right there knocking at the door. Did he talk about the success he's having there? He talked about it from the standpoint of what I alluded to before. He knows how he wants to build a team. He knows the structure and he knows the standards. And players have to be educated in that structure and those standards. He's not bashful in explaining that. He's not bashful in telling people inside and outside what the expectations are. And I think he would be very surprised and he would not be accepting of those standards if he didn't have Tottenham where they are right now. It's where he expects them to be. We're here with Joe Cummings, who was the CEO for United Soccer Coaches 2009 through 2015. He's now got his own company doing great things, not just in the United States, but as we are learning overseas. And Joe, look, you had Sir Alex Ferguson come in during your time to the convention. You had Landon Donovan and Pele, I think, at the same convention, which is ridiculous when you think about one of the world's greatest with one of the USA's greatest. This is a big get. Joe, we can sell this. This is a big get. How big is it in your mind? Well, I think what's really neat about it is that despite friendships, I never could have managed having people come in January to the convention. It just wouldn't have fit into schedules. I mean, International Play Week, if it's not an International Play Week, which many times it is, they still might have other commitments. This, because it was one hour, and because of friendships, was not an easy ask, but I was hopeful that I could have him spend the time with us. And that's what makes it so exciting. He's got an incredible personality. He's very outgoing. To see him again and to speak to him again was exciting for both of us. And he closed by saying, you know, when they come to the United States, he always wants to train at UCLA. He loves to go to UCLA. He loves the weather. And so the last time that he was here, when he was with Manchester United, had terrible rain that day, had a huge rainstorm. So I was chiding him about, well, if it doesn't rain, and he said, doesn't rain in California. And he said, I look forward to coming back again. He was just happy. He was happy to be on the call and he was happy to be part of providing information to coaches. All right, Joe Cummings, as we think about the 20,000 members and as we hope that they'll take advantage of this digital convention, 
Obviously, they won't be able to network personally and do some of the things that you normally would do at the convention, but I think this will be pretty neat. I give Jeff Van Dusen and the gang a whole lot of credit for setting it up, but when you think about the elder statesmen of United Soccer Coaches, then you think about the 30 under 30 members. From both perspectives, maybe even in the middle, why should they all want to hear your interview with Coach Mourinho? Well, the range of questions that I pose to him, I think will give people some sense of how they can take a piece from it. They can take something from it. We did talk about COVID and we've all faced stressful situations in our coaching. And here's someone who had to face it at the highest possible level. I asked him, what don't we know about Harry Kane as a player? We see Kane on the field. He talked a great deal about Harry Kane as a player. I asked him what he thought of the American players. There are many, many more, as we saw in the national team games. Those were all players based in Europe. There are many more players playing in Europe right now. He has some opinions on that. He's always got the notebook going. You always see the notebook. He's scribbling something. And I asked him about the notebook. I said, you know, is this for halftime only? Is it for the future? Is it for you to talk to your assistant coaches? I wanted to know a little bit about the use of the notebook, so to speak. I asked him if he ever jumped into training. Was he ever jumping into training? Did he knock the ball around with the players? And he said, you know, the interesting thing about coaches at the highest level, he said they all talk about how they were, you know, great players. They were all great players, or they say they were great players. But then they had this injury when they were 17 or 18 or 20, and that's why they went into coaching, because they, they couldn't play anymore. He's so self-deprecating. He said, that's not me. I'm a lousy player, never was a good player. I don't have to pretend. I don't have to hide behind some fictitious injury. He said, I'm on the field. I'll pass the ball around with the players, but I wasn't a formal player who got hurt. I'm just really smart and know the game. And so he's, the personality just came through and I think everyone's gonna love it. You'll see pieces of his personality that will come through over and over and over again on the bench, you'll see them during this interview. And then when you watch them during a match, you'll say, oh, that's the smile I've seen. Oh, that's, that's you know, the anger that I've seen because he shows it. He doesn't hide behind it. Jose knows how to coach. Joe Cummings, one thing you've got to admit about yourself, you know how to sell because you told us the questions, but you didn't give us the answers because you know why, Joe? You got to tune in, right? Well, you better be listening because it's going to be an hour of prime time for sure. And I believe the way it's going to be set up is it's going to not conflict with another presentation. It'll be like a spotlight session. So you're definitely going to want to carve out some time for this interview with the special one, because he certainly is. It's hard to add anything to that. What a great close right there. I can't wait for the interview with the special one, Joe Cummings. Remember, he was the CEO for United Soccer Coaches, then known as NSCA from 2009 to 2015. I guess we'll close with that link, Joe. You loved your time with the NSCA at the time, now United Soccer Coaches, and you've made it a mission to stay connected and do great things like this interview with the special one. Yes, it's, look, it was it was a love way before I stepped into the role of CEO, the love of this association, the love of coaches and the changes that they make in players' lives. 
And um, that didn't stop when I left in 2015. It just gave me more time to concentrate on continuing to do those things that help the lives of coaches and make coaching the great profession that it is. They're teachers. We're just coaches are teachers in shorts and t-shirts. That's it. I mean, you know, that's what we do. I cannot wait. Joe Cummings with the great Jose Mourinho. It'll be a featured spotlight sometime between January 11th through 15. If there's no other reason to sign up for the digital convention, I think I'd sign up for this, right, Joe? I mean, this is going to be awesome. There certainly will be many reasons, and I've looked at the lineup, but I think listening to, to Jose alone would be a good reason, but now you layer on all the other presenters even more reasons. It's a great, great, great lineup. And please take advantage of listening and watching these interviews. I cannot wait. And I'm so pleased, Joe, that you're able to tease it on the United Soccer Coaches podcast. One more time, reminding you that Joe Cummings sits down for an hour with the great Jose Mourinho as part of the digital convention, January 11th through 15. You need to sign up now. Joe Cummings, thanks for all you do for the association. You're very welcome. Dean. right back at you, same thing. When people ask me about you, I say, well, the voice of the association. That's how I think of you. If I'm watching a, if I'm watching a broadcast or I'm listening to the podcast, that's the voice I know. I know Dean Linky. That's it. Thanks, Joe, for being with us. Have a great week. All the best. All right, great to be with Joe Cummings. And I can tell you that Mike Knipper, the fine communications officer for United Soccer Coaches, reminded me that you do not need to know what day the Jose Mourinho interview is going to be. Remember, with it being digital this year, there are no day passes, so you need to register for the entire convention. I do want to remind you that if you are registered, you will get recordings of all the sessions, so if you aren't able to watch the sessions live, you will still be able to access them after the event. But again, with no day passes, if you want to hear the Jose Mourinho interview, you want to hear the entire digital convention. All right, before we get back to more convention guests, we're going to flip the switch. We covered the USL all the way through in both levels. We covered NWSL all the way through. So we feel like we need to cover MLS my longtime broadcast partner with the Big Ten Network, Chris Doran, is the radio play-by-play voice for the crew. He'll be on the call at 8 p.m. on Saturday on Sirius XM 157. The crew will face either Minnesota or Seattle. At the time of this recording, that game had not been completed. We'll hear from Chris Doran, radio voice of the Columbus crew, after this message. Registration for the 2021 United Soccer Coaches Digital Convention is now open. Even though we won't be together in person, the interactive digital event taking place January 11th through 15th, 2021 will still bring the soccer coaching community together for a week of fantastic presenters, diplomas, network opportunities, and more. To register, visit unitedsoccercoachesconvention.org. The game hasn't changed, just the game plan. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap. Down the stretch we go. The MLS Cup will be on Saturday at 8 Eastern. That'll be on Fox. But if you really want to hear it broken down, you got to listen to the radio call on Sirius XM 
157, where my main man since the Big Ten Network launched, Chris Doran, my longtime Big Ten Network broadcast partner, is the play-by-play man for the Columbus crew. And what a ride it is, Chris Doran, you've had. You're in the MLS Cup, and you will have the call on Sirius XM on Saturday night. Hey, Dean, it's so good to talk to you. We've had, for you know every sport, it's been such a wild 2020. And for everyone else, too, outside of sports. But to think that we have gotten to this point where we can now crown a champion is really pretty spectacular in the season that we've had. But beyond that, selfishly, to be able to do it with the team that I work for is really fantastic. And it's not your first dance with the Columbus crew. You've been there before. You left a little bit, but you've come back. You now live in Ohio. You are fully committed, as they would say. Yeah, fully committed to the black and gold. I'm still kind of warming up to the scarlet and gray. You know what it's like <laughs> to live in Columbus, right? <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough, indeed. Remember, he is an Indiana Soccer Hall of Famer and talking about Chris Doran. But let's dive right in. The Columbus crew, now when we tape this, we do not know who won the Western Conference side. So everybody will see that on Saturday. But this is about the Columbus crew. What has made them so magical? Chris, you have the floor. Thanks, Dean. Two years ago, I mean, almost to the day, this team was in a flux. I mean, we had an owner who was ready to pick it up and move it to Austin, Texas. And the league was kind of standing behind him on it until they saw the pressure coming from the fan base. And more importantly, they started to see the support from the business community in Columbus, wrap their arms around a franchise, the first club in Major League Soccer, and say, you're not moving us. So Dee and Jimmy Haslam, who own the Cleveland Browns, and Dr. Pete Edwards, who was a longtime team doctor for the club, got together. <laughs> I guess, you know, as, as funny as it sounds, they pooled their money and uh, they were able to come up with the right, right amount to keep Columbus's crew in Columbus. Fast forward into mid-December where Tim Bezpachenko, who put together the super club in Toronto with Michael Bradley and Sebastian Javenko, you know, that's $56 million of payroll money that they're dealing with up there with uh, Tim Laiwiki was up there as well. They brought Tim in, who was an Ohio native, and then they hired Caleb Porter, who loves Ohio. He's got family here and started putting the pieces together in early January. I mean, Caleb was meeting the players for the first time on the preseason trip, did not have a trade window to work with in that first winter. They added a couple signings that were kind of spotty got to the first big trade window in the summer of 2019 and added Aloy Room, the goalkeeper from the Gold Cup who had a tremendous summer and then went ahead and started building the roster this past winter with Darlington Nagby, who's won trophies not only at Akron under Caleb Porter, but also in Portland with Caleb Porter and in Atlanta as well. And then Lucas Zellerayan, who's an Argentine who was playing in Mexico's first division with Tigres and a fantastic talent, an unbelievable playmaker in the central part of the park, and has been so significant in these tight moments where you know you want to see your stars survive and carry you through. And that's exactly what's happened, not just in the regular season, where we went undefeated in the MLS's back tournament down in Orlando in those three group play games, but then beyond that, building a great resume at home. This team is now 12-1 in the 2020 campaign, at home and they are hosting MLS Cup on Saturday night. So it's a, it's been a really great story. To think that two years ago, this club could have been packing up and moving 
in a big storage van down to Austin, Texas. Great way to set it up, Chris Dorn. And obviously, as the radio man, you were solo throughout the season. I understand now you'll be joined by Neil and Jordan. But, you know, sitting there solo calling all of those wins, I mean, they never lose and big goals. That's what it's all about, my man. Yeah, you're right. It's uh, it's really a lot of fun. And as you said earlier, you and I have had the great honor to follow these young players in college, especially in the Big Ten and your work with the ACC and around the country. And then to see just that small portion of them come to the next level in Major League Soccer, to have the chance to sort of follow them. And, and you and I knew Caleb Porter way back when. He was an assistant with the godfather, Jerry Agley, way back in the 90s at, uh, at Indiana. And um, an opportunity there at that point <laughs> to, uh, I knew him personally for, for a lot of those years, covered him as a player, as a matter of fact, when he was at IU. But to see him elevate to this position where he is, I mean, he's coaching against Bruce Arena on the weekend, a guy that he really admires, but a guy he loves to beat. He was able to get that 1-0 win. And, you know, as you said, we wait for the winner of Minnesota-Seattle, but look forward to a big game Saturday. Well, Caleb Porter's definitely a friend to the association in that when we used to do the NSCAA Game of the Week on Fox Soccer, Caleb Porter always made sure we were in Akron with the Rowdies and those great fans. I mean, he knows how to do it right at every level, right, Chris? Yeah, he really does. He understands not just what to do in the locker room, but especially at Akron, he understood what it meant to build a program and make it intimate with the student body because it's no fun for players to play a game with an empty stadium. It's just not, it looks like a scrimmage. And that's what we've seen for a large part of the regular season. Believe it or not, of the four teams remaining in Major League Soccer's playoff run in Minnesota and in Seattle and in Foxborough in New England, those three teams are not playing in front of fans. So it's actually fortuitous that Columbus wins out and gets to host MLS Cup because at least there will be fans there. In Franklin County, we've seen sort of a, uh, I guess, a, a plateau of numbers where it's become comfortable for the club to welcome fans into the stadium. At three other locations in those four final teams scenarios, there, there would not have been any fans this weekend. Final thought from Chris Dorn, who'll be on the call, Sirius XM 157. That's eight o'clock on Saturday for MLS Cup, Columbus against either Seattle or Minnesota. Chris, perhaps nobody knows the Columbus crew as well as you because of your perspective calling every game, most of them by yourself. Knowing what you know about Columbus, whether it's Seattle or Minnesota, if the Columbus crew does these one or two things, they'll be the MLS Cup champions and put a fitting cherry on top of an amazing, amazing story that you kicked us off with. Well, Dean, I think the first thing is that the, the team has got to play the game, not the occasion. And that's something Caleb Porter professes. That's not something I came up with, but he's absolutely right. Don't get wrapped up in the moment. Get wrapped up in the game itself. So tactically and technically, execute as you've planned. They'll have a full week of training going into the game on Saturday night. So they'll, they'll know with that training what they have to do to be successful against the opponent that's there. That's the first thing. Second thing is the balance between patience and urgency. It's 90 minutes, then it's plus 30 if it's a draw, then it's kicks from the penalty spot. But you can't be looking forward to all of that uh, as you play. You've got to be playing with a certain balance between patience and urgency, understanding that it's okay to possess, recycle, go to the other side, change your load of numbers, and see if you can gain an advantage on the other side of the field. And if they do that and then strike when the moment is right, 
they'll find themselves in the driver's seat, especially in the attacking third. The marvelous big pipes of Chris Doran, the radio voice of the Columbus crew. You can hear him on Saturday night for MLS Cup as Columbus will face either Seattle or Minnesota. Once again, that serious XM 157, my broadcast partner with the Big Ten Network since the launch in 2007, the great Chris Doran. Good luck with your Columbus crew on Saturday night in the MLS Cup. Dean, thanks a lot. Have a great week. Always good to catch up with Chris Doran and always good to get his take on the Columbus crew. We wish Chris and the crew the best of luck on Saturday night. Last week, we talked to Sasso Soroski, who won the Bill Jeffrey Long-Term Service Award to college soccer. Today, we meet the winner of this year's Robert W. Robinson Award, recognizing long-term service to United Soccer coaches in high school soccer. The winner, Reed Weeks, who's getting it done out in Colorado still today. Reed Weeks, when we return. United Soccer Coaches Advanced Diplomas have long been regarded as an excellent way to expand your coaching knowledge, advance your career, and improve your player's development. Now, with our blended format that incorporates online and in-person learning, coaches with ever-demanding schedules can earn their diploma in the most time-friendly way possible. Visit unitedsoccercoaches.org slash advanced diplomas for more information. The Robert W. Robinson Award, recognizing long-term service to United Soccer Coaches and interscholastic soccer, is named for the Philadelphia area high school coach who touched virtually every aspect of the association. A member of the United Soccer Coaches Hall of Fame, Robinson is a past president of the organization and received its honor award in 1999. Each year, United Soccer Coaches presents this award to a person who has raised interscholastic soccer to new heights through his or her long-term dedication to the game. The Robert W. Robinson Long-Term Service Award is supported by the American Youth Soccer Organization, AYSO, an organization dedicated to providing world-class youth soccer programs that enrich children's lives. Reed Weeks, a United Soccer Coaches member since 1980, spent 31 years as a high school coach, first in Hawaii, where he started a girls soccer program in 1974 and took over the boys program in his first year as a JV program, and then at Lewis Palmer High School in Monument, Colorado from 88 to 2008. He won three United Soccer Coaches Regional Coach of the Year awards, and his teams won three Colorado State Championships. Weeks has served on various United Soccer Coaches awards committees for decades, including the High School Coach of the Year Committee for the past 23 years. He also served on the High School Long-Term Service Award Committee from 1998 to 2014. Weeks currently serves as the Colorado High School Soccer Coaches Association Treasurer, a position he has held since 2002, and it's worth noting that Reed received a Certificate of Appreciation from United Soccer Coaches in 2015. So Reed, you as much as anyone know exactly what a prestigious honor this is. How does it feel to receive the Robert W. Robinson Award from the United Soccer Coaches? Humbling at first. I kind of had forgotten about it after I left the committee in 2014. And at the same time, very, very honored. Humbled because I got to work with a lot of people who received the award and actually had been involved, including Robbie Robertson, after he received it and it was named after him. I got to work with him for those those years. People like Vic Garcia, who received it, it was also at Lewis Palmer High School and was kind of my mentor when I moved here from Hawaii. 
And then Bob Berry, who won it, I actually competed against him in Hawaii. He was at Iolani High School and I was at Kamehameha. But yet at the same time, we came together and started doing clinics. So it was quite, a, quite an honor to be lumped in with this incredible group of coaches. Well, you touched on it. When you meet Robbie Robinson, you love Robbie Robinson. He's just good people, right? Yes, absolutely. And he's done an amazing amount of, amount of things for high school soccer. I know what he's done for the association, and it's uh, quite an honor to be lumped in with him. How did you end up in Hawaii in the early <clears throat> 70s? Well, I grew up in Connecticut and played soccer, high school soccer in Connecticut back in the 60s. Probably one of the few places that was actually playing high school soccer at the time. It was drafted, got out of the Army, and I was in Washington State at the time. And it had actually coached a under-12 boys team in Tacoma. And so kind of got re-interested in soccer and involved at that point. My wife and I decided to move to Hawaii and uh, to continue my education. And during that time, got involved in, you know, AYSO and then high school. And we loved it there. So we stayed there for a long time. And my daughter started playing soccer there as well. Well, Hawaii is a hard place to leave. So is Colorado. <laughs> I have actually left Colorado to come to North Carolina. Talk about your decision to move from Hawaii to Colorado. Yeah, it was really driven by my daughter becoming school-aged. Despite the fact that I worked at one of the private schools, you had to be Hawaiian to go there. So there was no way I could get my daughter in there. So we really moved to Colorado. We wanted a mountain state. And for the education was the first draw or the first motivator was good public school education. So we lived in Colorado Springs for about nine months looking around and then bought a house in Palmer Lake and Lewis Palmer School District, which um, is one of the better ones in the state. Well, Colorado is an incredible state for accomplished soccer players. I mean, you think about particularly on the women's side from April Heinrichs to Mallory Pugh and even more to this day. I mean, Colorado continues to spit out great men's and women's soccer players. And there's also big debates and usually coming out of Colorado, there's a couple pioneers in that state really mm -hmm. that are strong proponents for the value of high school soccer. So I feel like you're sitting in the, the right place. You know exactly what I'm talking about, right? Oh yes, absolutely. There's not only great coaches, but a lot of people who are very interested in elevating soccer to the next level and their players and sportsmanship, all of those sorts of things. They feel very much in inclusivity. You know, we have a former past NSCAA president, Teresa Ectemeyer out of Denver area, has been one of our past presidents, the Coaches Association, as well as, you know, helped at the national level with clinics and, you know, turns out some incredible players. And she's just one of many in the whole front range area. Well, that was definitely the name that I was looking for. I was hoping that uh, you were going to name her because she's been fantastic. And she's been fantastic being out front on the debate of, you know, hey, if kids want to play both, if they want to play academy and they want to play high school, let them play both. They can figure it out. And a lot of the reasons are the ones that you would expect, the camaraderie, the cohesion, because these are kids you go to high school with and you can win state championships with, right? Do you agree with that sentiment? Absolutely. And we had a number of incidents when I was coaching where we had coaches who just wouldn't let their players, high school coaches or club coaches, wouldn't let their players do another sport. And I think that's really harming the players. There are a lot of examples of two and three sport athletes who when it came to finally making their decision and chose the sport that they really had a passion for, thought they could excel at, still excelled at it. Being involved in a couple different sports didn't hurt them. It just makes them a more well-rounded person. 
I'm totally behind what Teresa's talking about. And that's the way I did it with my athletes too. I am as well. I'm totally right there with you. Reed, at its core, why do you love the association so much now named United Soccer Coaches? I've been a member for a long time. It actually predates 1980. <laughs> there, was a, there was a period in there where I couldn't afford any membership fee. And so I let my membership lapse and then I picked it up again. But I've always found them very welcoming, attending a number of clinics, not, I don't do it every year, the exchange of ideas in the different clinics or awards for different people and how do we include people. For me, it's always been not only the education piece that you get and the quality of the journal itself, but the, again, the welcoming that you get. I rode in a cab years ago, coming back from the Kansas, to the airport from Kansas City. That's where I got involved in some of the awards committees because I was sharing a cab with a, a member who had been there a long time. And I have no idea. I didn't bribe him or anything. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, how would you like to get more involved? You know, so they were always looking for new blood to get involved. Let's end with this, Reed. Do you remember where you were when you received the notification that you were getting this prestigious <laughs> Robbie Robinson Lifetime Achievement Award for your work in high school soccer? And then follow that up with the sentiment. Obviously, it's going to be different. It'll be Wednesday night. It'll be digitally. But we look forward to seeing you. Just talk about your excitement, albeit different, on getting the award the week of January 11 through 15. I know exactly where I was. My daughter and son-in-law, both of whom played college soccer, I was at their house because they are now working from home. So we go up once or twice a week to babysit the two little girls, the oldest of whom is also kicking the ball around a little bit now. And I was in the backyard and got this phone call. I almost never carry my phone. And I happened to have it that time. And it was Jeff Farnsworth. I still had no clue. We talked and shared, you know, how we're doing and all that sort of thing. And then he told me and it was like, oh, my goodness, this is incredible. So I was able to share it with my daughter and son-in-law. My daughter played for me in high school and was ODP and all that good stuff. And then college and so they are aware of the award and the association themselves. The first phone call I made after that was to Vic Garcia, who I coached with at Lewis Palmer High School, won the award himself, and he was thrilled. He's always been a big, big advocate for me and got me very much involved in the state association. So he was thrilled. Yeah, he was more or less the only mentor in soccer, the actual coaching mentor that I've ever had. And so that was a thrill. Tempering the being thrilled with not being able to be at the convention and actually rub elbows or bump elbows or fists with some of the people that we've already talked about, past award winners that I've been on committees with. And that's kind of disappointing. But at the same time, I totally understand. And I'll see them next year or in a year from now. Well, you will. And the word is for awards like this one, they may bring you back up, assuming we're out of COVID and in fact, be a part of the presentation of next year's award winner and also re-recognize you for all that you've done. So just a little hint of what might be, coming. Uh, you might get double the love based on the situation we're in. You definitely deserve the love. You know what it means because you were on the committee for so long. Reed Weeks, the winner of the Robbie Robinson Lifetime Service Award to high school soccer. Thanks so much for joining us on the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap. You're very welcome. And again, I'd like to thank the members of the committee for honoring me this year. And it is humbling. And like I said earlier, an incredible honor. Thank you very much, Dean. Oh, I absolutely love this job. I love this podcast because of people like Robbie Robinson and people that receive 
the Robbie Robinson Award like Reed Weeks. Speaking of awards, thrilled that the different advocacy groups selected honorees as Award of Excellence, including the Disabilities Allies Advocacy Group Award of Excellence. That went to Sean Danhauser. We'll talk to Sean when we return. High school coaches are presented unique challenges both on and off the field of play. The United Soccer Coaches High School Diploma, now delivered in an all online format, supplies coaches with the knowledge needed to perform the distinctive role high school coaches play in the development of young players. This updated diploma takes a look at the ongoing duties of the high school coach and how to better prepare them for the responsibilities given to them in that position. For more information or to register, go to unitedsoccercoaches.org education. United Soccer Coaches announced a few weeks ago the recipients of the 2020 Advocacy Awards of Excellence. The recipients will be honored during the Advocacy Hour reception at 12.30 p.m. on Monday, January 11, as part of the 2021 United Soccer Coaches Digital Convention. The Advocacy Awards of Excellence honor an individual organization or group that has shown outstanding work representative of the values of their respective advocacy group and dedication to meeting the association's highest ideals of inclusion and diversity in the game of soccer. Recipients were nominated by United Soccer Coaches members and selected by each individual advocacy group. Sean Danhauser was named the Disabilities Allies Award of Excellence. Sean has been involved with the game for 40 years, including 15 as a coach, primarily at the youth and high school levels, but his main focus is working with players with special needs. He co-founded the Addison United SC Travel Soccer Team in 2007 and founded the Chicago Top Soccer Adaptive Soccer Team in 2011. He was named the Top Soccer State Chair for Illinois Youth Soccer in 2012, the U.S. Youth Soccer Midwest Regional Top Soccer Chair in 2014, and was appointed to U.S. Soccer's Disability Committee in 2020. He was honored by Illinois Youth Soccer and U.S. Youth Soccer as the 2017 Midwest Region Volunteer of the Year and the 2020 Midwest Region Top Soccer Coach of the Year. He's an active member of the Disabilities Allies, LGBTQ and Allies, and Latino Coaches Advocacy Group. Welcome to the podcast, Sean, and congrats on receiving this award of excellence. Well, thank you very much, Dean. I'm, I'm very honored to have been uh, selected as uh, this year's winner. It was certainly unexpected and just really a uh, true delight to uh, be recognized by my peers in this way. Well, as I just mentioned, your main focus is working with players with special needs. When did you know that you had that ability to deal with players and people that have special needs, Sean? Uh, well, it was probably uh, with the birth of my uh, youngest son, Jake. Jake has autism, and I have two older children who I did a little coaching with, but they never really fell in love with the game. However, my son, Jake, he loves kicking the ball. So when I saw that there really wasn't a good avenue for him to play soccer or, or his peers like him, that's when I uh, got my stuff together did some research, found Top Soccer, and started a Top Soccer program in the western suburbs of Chicago where I live. At the time, there was no Top Soccer programs in Illinois. So I was kind of an island unto myself for a little while. I'm going to follow up about Top Soccer in a moment, but let me just first express my admiration as the father of two kids that uh, wanted to 
play sports. There was nothing I wouldn't do to make sure they were in the right environment. And that's exactly what you did for your son, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and not just for him, but, uh, you know, he growing up, he had a friend group through the therapies that he'd been involved with and talking with, you know, like-minded parents. We all expressed a need that we wish we had more programming. And I said, well, hey, uh, I know soccer. If you guys will trust me, I'll put a soccer program together for these kids. And it just kind of grew from there. And I fell in love with working with this community. It was an area that I think that having a soccer background was extremely helpful as opposed to just uh, being a parent. As far as I knew how to organize a, you know, a field session, I knew how to have soccer related exercises that were realistic and to the game and also to their ability levels in, in ways that I could adapt them. So, you know, it was a no brainer for me to get involved. And then uh, I kind of just took a life of its own. And, and slowly I, I stopped being as involved with our competitive teams at the youth level. And I just kind of really shifted my focus to focusing on this community and helping other new programs get started, uh, particularly in Illinois, but throughout the Midwest as well. Well, I mentioned you founded the Chicago Top Soccer Adaptive Soccer Team in 2011, but how did you find Top Soccer? What is Top Soccer all about? Where are they based? Share as much as you can about Top Soccer. Sure. Thanks for uh, the option to do so. I found Top Soccer just through my involvement as a coach in being part of the U.S. Youth Soccer. It's a U.S. Youth Soccer initiative. They've been at it for nearly 30 years. So they started, I want to say, in 1991 with their, you know, first formal programming and they do a great job of providing coaching education a mentorship giving you a strong foundation in order to start a program even if you weren't a already existing soccer coach i reached out to my local contacts at illinois youth soccer who I'd been dealing with for a couple of years anyways through my uh, competitive teams. And I mentioned that like, hey, I want to start this program. Can you give me a little help here? And they you know, basically said, we've been waiting for someone like you to arrive. They were uh, fantastic supporters, really helped me get off the ground with the, on the administrative level, put me in touch with all of the people I needed to know at USU Soccer as well. And from there, I just started growing my network and helping more coaches like myself realize just how great a program it is and how it needs to be a part of pretty much every community-based soccer program, given that disabilities aren't limited to geography. Every community has kids that would benefit from ha having a program like Top Soccer as part of their club. So I spend a lot of time recruiting more and more soccer clubs to add top soccer to their programming. As I told you earlier, Sean is an active member in the Disabilities Allies, LGBTQ and Allies and Latino Coaches Advocacy Groups under the helm of United Soccer Coaches. That's some heavy lifting. It's clear that you love the association, Sean. I do. It's been wonderful for me just in my coaching development, but just opening up a whole new uh, arena of coaches that I can network with. My two oldest children are part of the LGBT plus community. So, you know, that's near and dear to my heart. I want to make sure that players in that community have just as much access to the game as anyone else. Clearly, you know, my allegiance, you know, is, is most strongest with the disability allies. 
But part of my wife's heritage is Latinx. And so that's, you know, important to me. The, the local travel club that I helped co-found, it's probably 95% low-income Latino. So, and uh, almost exclusively at my high school level that I coach at, I assist with the uh, sophomore girls team at our local high school. That's 100% Latina. So I want to make sure these players are being represented appropriately in any way that I can help. Two more questions for Sean Danhauser, who was named the Disabilities Allies Award of Excellence. He'll receive that on Monday, January 11th, officially. And the first question is, obviously, because you've touched United Soccer Coaches so much, I feel like there's no better organization that does a great job of finding people that are doing great things. What does it mean to get this honor from them? Because United Soccer Coaches always finds the true gems like you, Sean. Being honored by respected peers, some of the best coaches I, I know I've gotten to know through either committee work with United Soccer Coaches or on the field with their licensing diplomas. I've taken all the courses up through the Premier Diploma and absolutely just fell in love with the association itself. The good work that they do, they never stop striving to improve the game. And I love that about United Soccer Coaches, which is why I work so hard for them, because I see what they're doing for the game, particularly in America, but worldwide as well. I'm just honored to be a part of it. And I'm truly honored to be rewarded with this amazing gift of award. And that was due to the nomination of, of my peers, which, uh, you know, it's nothing I asked for. It's something that was kind of done uh, unknowingly to me and uh you know i'm just honored beyond belief very good answer let's end with an update on your child that has autism how is he doing and you know again the progress through top soccer jake is now 17 he's a big boy still absolutely loves playing the game and the current situation that we've gone through this year was very challenging in that we didn't play in the spring and he knew when we should be playing and didn't understand why we weren't playing we did our best to practice at home but it's not the same we were able to cobble together a shortened season in the fall it was a little different from what we were used to but i always like to say some soccer is better than no soccer He's already asking when he can start playing again, which is great. I really hope that 2021 will be more accessible for everyone, but particularly for our players with disabilities, because they're already struggling to find programming. It's pickup games are not going to happen for our community. So when players who are able-bodied neurotypical yeah, this sucks for them, but, you know, they they have other options that they can do. For a lot of our kids, it's just this is the only option. So we're excited to get as back to normal as we can with the soccer programming so that our kids are active, having a good time. And one of the greatest things about Top Soccer is it's not just for the disabled athletes. We work one-on-one -on -one with, you know, your able-bodied neurotypical volunteers. They teach soccer to these kids. I'm just there to keep it safe and organized. The magic happens on the field with those volunteers and they get just as much benefit out of it as do our athletes. So it's important for our volunteers to get back at it too, because it's a big part of their development off the field that we love to tout about our game. So he's doing good, but uh, we're looking forward to when we can do better. Sean Danhauser, winner of the Disabilities Allies Award of Excellence. 
best to you and your family and give our best to Jake too. Okay, Sean, thanks for being with us. Thank you so much, Dean. Appreciate your time. Good work, Sean. When we come back, we meet another member of our current 30 under 30 class. Lauren P.N. went to college at Rochester where she played soccer. She's now out in California getting it done at every single coaching level possible. Lauren, after this message. Looking for ways to improve your training session? Quick Goal has supplied the highest quality soccer goals, seating, field, and training equipment for more than 30 years. From backyards to the world's greatest pitches, Quick Goal has products essential to every level of the game. As an official partner to the United Soccer Coaches and technical partner to U.S. Soccer, Quick Goal knows what equipment you need to elevate your game to the next level. Visit quickgoal.com to satisfy all your equipment needs. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap, favorite part of the show as we get to know more members of the 30 under 30 class. Right now it's Lauren P.N. who went to school at the University of Rochester and studied computer science and digital media studies. I'm pretty sure she played there as well. Now she's in the San Francisco Bay Area living the dream of being a freelance web developer and graphic designer and coaching soccer. She is a head varsity girls soccer coach at a great Catholic school in California. And she also coaches for the Livermore Fusion. So she is indeed getting it done and a deserving member of our 30 under 30 class. Lauren, welcome to the United Soccer Coaches podcast. Thank you. So I understand you grew up in New England, found your way to Rochester and then out to California. So let's get to know you as a youngster. Where in New England, when did you start playing soccer and when did you know that you wanted to go to Rochester to continue? I think you continued playing at Rochester, right? Yeah, that's correct. So I started playing soccer. I think I was probably five or something and just played through the youth system and then had a really good opportunity to play at the U of R. And so I took it and it was great. So big clubs and big coaches that helped you before you got to Rochester. We like to drop names and drop mentors on this show. Big shout out to my high school coach, um, Meg Matson. She's cool. She supported me and not many young girls get a chance to play for um, a woman. So that was awesome. Did she help you in your picking Rochester? And why did you pick Rochester? I picked Rochester mainly for its academic standards, as well as the curriculum. So it's very open. I had two majors and I got to play college soccer. So that was awesome. All right. Break down those two majors you got at Rochester. Sure. Digital media studies is basically understanding how humans interact with media, any kind of media, social media, TV, radio everything. And then computer science is software, algorithms, artificial intelligence, machine learning, mobile app development, all that stuff. And then how about your playing time at Rochester? Were you able to play a lot the entire four years, a little? What was the story there? Oof. Uh, started off not playing at all. And then by senior year, I was playing a lot. It was good. <laughs> Okay, solid memories there. Okay, so you now have this degree from Rochester. Tell us what happened. Did you go immediately to California or did you take a little bit of time somewhere else? Yeah, I graduated, didn't really know what I was doing. And then I got offered a job out in California working for a healthcare system. So I was actually in IT for three years. And then on the side, I was coaching, but now I'm coaching full-time. Okay, so coaching is your full-time gig. All right, so when did you make that transfer, for lack of a better word, to coaching full-time? Uh, it's been about a year now. 
And how did you find your way to this great Catholic school out there to get the head job for the varsity girls team? I actually knew the boys varsity head coach. And so my first year there was actually on the boys varsity side. So after building up the boys side for a year, I went over to the girls side because I wanted to help them out as well. Now you're the boss. And before you were helping the boys coach, what's it like being the boss? What's the biggest challenge? What's the most rewarding part of being the head coach of a girls varsity team? The best and most difficult thing I would say is kind of having the freedom to do whatever I want. I don't have a set curriculum. I can make my own. If we wanted to take a week off, we could. Or if we wanted to go hard every single day, we could. It's the freedom and difficulty of making those decisions that being so young, I am in control over. Fair answer. And then tell us what age group you're coaching for Livermore Fusion. I have the U8 boys and girls, U9 girls, and U17 girls. So you really are getting it all then. If you're a high school coach and you go all the way down to the U8 level, then you really are making an impact at pretty much every age. I am also a volunteer assistant at a men's and women's community college. So I hit every age and gender and level. All right. Well, let's give a shout out to that community college. Where are you working there? I'm at Merritt College in Oakland. Merritt College in Oakland. All right. Well, if you had to pick your greatest soccer memory, either as a player or as a coach so far, and maybe it's being inducted into this 30 under 30 class, I'm not sure. What would you pick? What uh, rises to the top? That's super difficult. Just looking back really quickly on my career, I've made incredible friendships, whether that's with my colleagues, my coaching colleagues, or it's with my former teammates. And so just being able to look back and all those memories that we have is amazing. The digital convention's coming up. Obviously, you won't be able to be together with all of your members, but you will be there digitally. Are you looking forward to the convention, Lauren? Yeah, I've only heard good things about it. And so, you know, having the opportunity to go, even if it's digital, I'm really excited to just see what it's all about. What made you want to apply for the 30 under 30 class? I actually work with someone who is a former 30 under 30 cohort member, Mary Whistler. And she kind of just said, hey, go for it. There's nothing you have to lose. So, yeah. And what do you remember about learning that you, in fact, were included in this 30 under 30 class? (laughs) I was actually in between training sessions and I was checking my email and I thought it was a scam at first. (laughs) I thought it was a fake email. (laughs) (laughs) You thought they were joking, but they were... They were serious. and Yeah, I thought they were joking. Yeah. Uh, Speaking of serious, you clearly were serious about your studies. I know you're a full-time coach, but are you still applying some of what you've learned in college part-time, or is it strictly coaching now, Lauren? I'm looking into um, specifically data analytics for soccer. And so there's a ton of new research that's coming out. And I guess the most relatable thing to that would be expected goals. So... Almost every professional match, you can look at the expected goals and then what that implies with the buildup, with specific players, a lot of different things. And it's just looking at how that data works with soccer. We're here with Lauren PN, part of this year's 30 under 30 class. And we just told you that uh, she started in New England, went to college in Rochester, is now out in California. What about the rest of your family? Where are they? Brothers and sisters, the whole gang? Where is everybody? My family is currently in Boston. Okay. And how big is your family? What, uh, what are the, what's that make up of? My mom, dad, and brother. 
are all living there, downtown Boston. If you've listened to any of these interviews, I always ask the crystal ball question, and that is where you see yourself in 10, 15 years from now, particularly with your goals in soccer and becoming a full-time soccer coach. Uh, do you have any big plans on what you want to be doing 10 years from now, Lauren? Oh, 10 years? Let's see. Would love to be at a very high professional level doing data analytics. Where does soccer fit in in 10 years from now? You know, I would love to do real-time data analytics. So, you know, if I'm analyzing a match, I can pull data, you know, as the match is happening and make game decisions based off of that. A couple more quick hitter questions. If you had the opportunity to meet any soccer player, male or female, and maybe have dinner with them and pick their brain, who would Lauren PN want to have dinner with right now? Modern day, they have to be alive in order to get the dinner in. Have to be alive? Okay. Hmm. Let's see. That's tough. Probably Megan Rapino. She seems like she seems like a good time. <laughs> she does indeed. Yeah. <laughs> yep, I know Pino. I've called a lot of her games over the years. And if you had to, the opportunity to do the same thing with any coach, and doesn't have to be a soccer coach, but any coach to pick their brain on what it takes to be a great coach, who would you pick to have that dinner with? I would either pick Arteta, the Arsenal men's coach, or Pep Guardiola. Lauren, before we let you go, we understand that if this convention was live in Anaheim, you were actually going to present. Can you tell us what you were going to present on? Was it a field session? Was it a lecture session? What were you going to do? I believe it was a lecture session. And so I've been working with Marcelo Antonelli, mm -hmm. who is the author and I oh. guess inventor of the methodology Soccer Powered by Futsal. Yep. Yeah. So we were going to talk about how futsal and soccer are connected and you know how we can use futsal as a tool to develop soccer players. Well, he's been on my podcast before. He is brilliant. And obviously futsal makes a big difference, right? In the development for even young kids, right? Yeah, exactly. And really hoping that we can get some, some futsal sessions and games in this year, but we'll see. Lauren Pian, a member of the 30 Under 30 class. Thanks so much for joining us on the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap. Awesome. Thank you so much. All right, we wrap up a big show by going Big Ten and Ten. Indiana women's soccer, Erwin Van Benekam, had great success as the associate head coach for Robbie Church at Duke, now getting it done in Hoosierland coaching the women's team. He is joined by Kelly Lawrence. I can tell you folks, when she played at Indiana, she was legit. She is now an assistant coach with Nancy Feldman at Boston University. It's Big Ten and 10, Indiana women's soccer, to wrap up the show when we return. College coaches, make sure your program is registered for the 2020-21 College Services Program. While the 2020-21 season looks much different than any of us anticipated, we are committed to providing benefits for College Services members year-round. The College Services Program supports and promotes the college game, including rankings and awards for participating programs, regardless of when your season is played. For more information or to register your program, visit unitedsoccercoaches.org slash college. Welcome to Big Ten in 10 as we break down Big Ten women's soccer with all of the coaches of the 14 schools and one distinguished alumni. Today, we're talking Indiana soccer. Hello, everybody. I'm Dean Linky with former Illinois All-Big Tenner Jackie Manny. Jackie, great to be with you. Great to be back with you talking soccer, Dean. Yeah, we're talking Indiana soccer. Erwin Van Benekom now in his second year as the top man at Indiana. And one of my all-time favorites with the launch of the Big 
10 Network, like you, Jackie Manny, Kelly Lawrence, a star defender for Indiana. Erwin and Kelly, welcome to Big 10 and 10. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much, Dean. All right, Erwin, right away, one of the things I love about you is when you got the job, you said, hey, the godfather, he won six championships. They won two more for men's soccer. Why can't they do it for women's soccer? Well, guess what? The godfather's right here. He's always watching. And Erwin, I got to tell you, if he did it, why can't you do it? And why not have you just stay there forever and win six national championships, right? I'll be all for that. It was funny. We had, we had training this morning, and uh, his white Lincoln is driving around the track watching our training <laughs> session. I'm like, oh, there he is. It's a great atmosphere. It's a great soccer atmosphere. And, uh, you know, I get this. I, I'm getting a little sick and tired of this question, to be honest. Like, oh, the guys won, won eight national championships. So why don't you guys just do it? It's not as easy as it sounds, but we got everything we need. And we got great support from, from Jerry and, and the Yagley family. So I'm, I'm very happy to be part of, of the Indiana soccer culture. Erwin, people kind of consistently talk about how tactically savvy you are and um, and how you just kind of have this great ability to understand the ebbs and flows of a game. Number one, how did you develop that in yourself? And number two, how do you develop that in a program to be able to see and think like that as well? You know, just growing up and just always being interested in that part of the game. And I think uh, I think it's an underdog game because it, or an underdog part of the game. And I think it's the hardest part of the game where our program is. And I've seen some, some top level managers all over the world say this too. Is like, hey, we're probably not the best team in terms of overall talent. Maybe not maybe not even the best coaching staff, but I think if we do the things right and maybe a little different than the other teams, I think we can compete with anybody. And uh, we have to go about it a little different. We want to be a little different. We want to recruit different players, but we're all trying to do the same thing and score more than the other team. So the way we go about it, uh, it might be a little different. I think the emphasis, but you know, everything in the game to me is based on a, a decision, which is tactics. And the execution of it, that's that's the technique. And the physical part is how fast can you execute it. But the, the starting point for me is always always tactics. And I love it. And hopefully we can we can uh, we can grow that culture here of understanding the game and really produce players and help players develop ultimately that wanna wanna be a pro, like like you guys. It certainly wouldn't hurt to have a ton of Kelly Lawrence's on the team, Erwin. I got to tell you, with the launch of the Big Ten Network, Kelly Lawrence was Indiana women's soccer. She was such a baller in the back, and she was eating soccer up, the Premier League. Kelly, great to have you back connected because I know your memories of Indiana are still with you. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, I even remember the one year, you know, talking about uh, pandemics and things where swine flu was something that was in the air and I, I got it and I had to be quarantined and then I was still on the bus at the back with a mask on. Um, I had to play that Friday game up at Michigan. So great memories. Um, it's been really great to just think about, you know, Indiana women's soccer over the last week and, and really reflect. And, you know, Erwin's doing such a fantastic job. I got very excited uh, when I knew Erwin was interested. I thought I was going to have to convince him of, you know, all the great things about, you know, the degree that you can get in Indiana, the campus, you know, all the, all the great things about IU, but he was already so passionate already. So um, just super excited for the future. Kelly, as an 18-year-old, you're growing up in England. What were some of the things that brought you over to Indiana? Well, a little shout out to Mick Lyon, who um, took a chance on me and came over and watched me play. You know, kind of saw Indiana sight and unseen, to be honest. Came over in preseason. First time I saw campus, other than, you know, the big, thick media guys that you used to get. And for a year, I would always get the question, why Indiana? Like, you're from England. Why did you end up here? And for a while, I, I struggled to answer that because I was so new. It was this little English you know, English girl coming off the plane. And by the time I got to my sophomore year, I was kind of in the similar boat to, to Irwin. Why not Indiana? You know, phenomenal campus, great opportunities and degree, the Hoosier spirit. And that year, sophomore year was a year we had, you know, such a fantastic streak and were able to beat, you know, 
you know, USC was the team that ended up winning the national championship. We beat them. We played, you know, we, we beat Tennessee that year, Florida. We, you know, we just had a really good year. We made the Sweet 16 and no pressure, Erwin. I'm hoping we're going to continue that on as we go. Erwin, you were such a prominent force in Duke's success, getting to the College Cup almost every year in your final years under Robbie Church. Talk about the adjustment to Big Ten women's soccer and compare the two conferences. You've seen it more than anybody, uh, Dean, and I, I hear it all the time. I heard it throughout the recruiting process, and it's all the same. It's it's all the same. I think, the, you know, obviously different teams, and, and I think what it was 10 years ago, the ACC and then the, and the Big Ten, I think it's it's getting smaller and smaller. We have some – we have different styles in our league. The ACC had different styles. I think the, the, the greatest thing about this league, which I really like, we have some teams that maybe stand, stand above everybody else. But the rest, every every game, it's it's close. Everybody can beat each other at any given day. And uh, you know, we had eight, nine, you know, one goal games last year. And throughout the league, you see how many teams are you know ending on the same amount of points. So I think every year anything is possible. You you see Minnesota a couple of years ago won the league, and then two years later they were on the bottom. So I think anything can happen. So that's the great thing about it. No different than the ACC at that point. Kind of sum up after, especially having a year under your belt, what you want Indiana soccer to embody as a program and as a culture under your lead and vision. Yeah, we said it actually. Kelly was on this call. We said it with the with the alum the other day. And our motto that we have created is prepared to succeed. And uh, I want this to be the most rewarding and, and hardest experience our women are going through and, and rewarding the most important one, but also coming through this that they can do anything. And they have the confidence to to go into any any challenge, whatever life is going to bring them. And uh, it sounds deep, but I think that's what soccer can do. And that's how we run a program, uh, what we can help them with. And whatever job, what, whatever field they're in, any challenge that comes to them is like, oh, I, I was part of IUWS. I can do anything I want. And especially with, you know, in the women's game, what I what I like, it's common that you see way more confident women and, and, and because of the game that just grow and, you know, and I think we as coaches have a, a massive role in that in helping them grow and, and stand up for themselves and, and speak. And, and, and I think uh, prepared to succeed is everything. And so besides winning, I think that's what we want to do. Kelly, as long as I've known you, you've always been an open book. And I've loved the relationship that you and I have had. And with that open book, you've been very forthcoming about the fact that at one point in your career, you lost the love of the game. It's back now. Just talk about that process. Yeah, I think just, you know, a- approaching, you know, soccer as everything, you know, 110%. I was so committed through club, you know, in England to coming over and playing at, at IU and giving it everything. And then, you know, going into the to the pro setup. And, you know, I did I did kind of, you know, hit a bit of a wall, but still wanted to stay close to sports, the sport I played since I was four years old. And so got into coaching and, you know, fortunate now to be, you know, um, you know, continuing to coach and, and working through working up the ladder. But um, I think one of the things things that happens a lot for student athletes is you're you're so focused and you're so so much you know committed to what you're doing right there that when it ends you can you know feel a little bit lost and one of the things that I'm really excited about when it comes to our program and and Erwin is that you know when he's talking about preparing to succeed he's talking about you know continuing to make sure that there is a support system once you once you graduate that you have a network with the alumni and that the support is going to be there no no matter what so you know it's sports but similar to Erwin you know wanting to be in the game and and help lead young women and empower them and make sure that they they don't feel that lost you know feeling as much as possible always grieve being a student athlete it's, it's just such a part of your identity but i'm you know, definitely wanting to share my experiences and help uh you know young women lead and excited with Erwin being at the program to to help the current squad as well as they uh they move forward 
As we wrap it up, Erwin, hearing Kelly's voice, knowing that you've been doing the Zooms with the alumni and you're in your second year, how important is it to have people like Kelly Lawrence be a part of the family? First of all, I think it's it's going to show great players that we're trying to recruit, the very good players that we're trying to recruit, that there's been very, very good players and top-level players been, you know, before them. So I think that's one point. And then just, you know, what Kelly already has done with, with helping our staff and, and get more connected to the alumni and, and down the line, just having those resources and especially with the school that we have, I think to be able to call Kelly or any of the alum and say, hey, you know, ask for advice or even get jobs because of our alums. And, you know, a lot of them are, have great jobs and, and run businesses and stuff. So I think just using them as a resource is, is very important. So I'm very happy and grateful for, for Kelly and, and the other alum. And we're trying to, we're trying to, you know, with, with coaching changes and all that stuff, you know how it works. It's like, it's hard to keep track of alum. It'd be nice to have a coach here for, for 50 years and everybody has that connection, but we don't. So we're trying, we're trying really hard. Erwin Ben Benetom from Indiana. Kelly Lawrence, a superstar as well. The great Jackie Manny. It's Big Ten Women's Soccer in 10 with the Indiana Hoosiers. That's a wrap on another big show. I want to thank Sean Chevro and Mike Knipper and all the great folks at United Soccer Coaches. Also, special thanks to Colin Thrash, our producer of the show. For each and every one of them, I'm Dean Linke. We'll see you next week for another edition of the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap. Thanks for listening to the weekly United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap. To learn more, visit unitedsoccercoaches.org and teamsnap.com.